Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School lesson for the 10th Sunday after Pentecost, August 14th, 2022. And today we're looking at kind of a fun story. It's the story of Jacob wrestling with God. And that's in Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 through 32. A little bit of background. Now, Jacob is a well-known character. He's a son of Isaac along with Esau. Esau is the firstborn, not by much, and he has all the rights and privileges of the firstborn. Jacob, the little brother by not very long, is kind of a tricky guy. And one day, when they're both grown up, when Esau comes in from the field, Jacob talks Esau into selling his birthright for a a bowl of stew. And then later on in, in Genesis chapter 27, when their father Isaac is old, Jacob works with his father Rebekah to trick Isaac into giving Jacob Esau's blessing, the blessing of the firstborn. So Isaac, who is kind of feeble and blind at this point in his life, is tricked into blessing Jacob. When Esau gets back in from the field, he finds out and he wants to kill his brother. And Rebekah tells Jacob to flee until it's safe to come home. And Isaac gives Jacob his blessing to go to his uh, relative Laban far away until things cool down. So after chapter 27, Jacob goes and he lives with, with his relative Laban. And there he falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. And he promises to work seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. Laban agrees, but when Jacob wakes up the day after the wedding, he's facing Rachel's sister Leah in bed. He's married the wrong woman. The trickster has been tricked himself. And he's still in love with Rachel, so he makes a deal with with Laban to work seven more years for Rachel's hand in marriage, which he does. So Jacob marries both daughters of Laban, and in the meantime, he's working as a shepherd. And the Lord blesses Jacob's efforts. He becomes prosperous. He benefits from shepherding, and Laban benefits immensely from Jacob's labors. And in fact, Laban does not want Jacob ever to leave and pressures him to stay Finally, in Genesis chapter 31, Jacob kind of arranges things secretly for a while. And then he leaves Laban, his father-in-law, with all of his flocks, with his family, and just kind of sneaks away when Laban's not looking. And Laban pursues him to bring him back, perhaps even by force. But along the way, the Lord warns Laban to do Jacob no harm. So so once they depart, Jacob prepares to return to the promised land. Now, he wasn't supposed to come back to the promised land until his mother, Rebekah, sent for him. But Rebekah has never sent for him. 
Now he comes back because the Lord commands Jacob to return to the promised land. But when Jacob returns to the promised land, there's little doubt he's going to encounter his brother Esau. It's been years. How does Esau feel about Jacob? Does he still want to kill him? Has he made peace with the situation? Has he said, I was really stupid. This is my fault, but let bygones be bygones. We have no idea what Esau is thinking as the story begins. But Jacob's been commanded to go back to the promised land, commanded by the Lord. And so now he's on his way. And this is where our story picks up in Genesis chapter 32, verse 1, where we read, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Now, this is kind of an interesting bookend to Jacob's time away from the promised land. Because when Jacob first fled Esau, his brother, and went to Laban's household, along the way he fell asleep with his, with his head on a rock for a pillow, you might remember. And he had a dream of, of angels ascending and descending a ladder to heaven. And so on his way out of the promised land, Jacob saw angels. And now on his way back into the promised land, he encounters angels again. Now, when Jacob had the dream of the ladder and the angels, he called that place Bethel or house of God. On his way back, he says, this is God's camp. And so he calls the name of that place Mahanaim, which is interesting because it doesn't mean God's camp. Instead, it means two camps. And the Bible doesn't take the time to say why there are two why Jacob calls this two camps. Is it because God is there and Jacob and his family are there? Is it because angels are there and Jacob's family are there? Is it because Leah's kids and Rachel's kids are there and they might not get along very well? Is it because Jacob is about to divide his family into two camps as this story goes on? We simply don't know. Jacob declares this is God's camp And then he names the place Two Camps. So while he camps there, we read in verse 3, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. So here at this place called Two Camps, Jacob has met angels of God or messengers from God there. And now he sends his own messengers to greet his brother Esau. And it's kind of a kind of an interesting literary thing here. It's in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, says our text. And and the word there, Seir, means hair, and the word Edom means red. 
and a big deal about Esau. In fact, how he got his name at the very beginning when he was born is that Esau had a lot of red hair. Now he's in the land called Hair in the country of Red. And this is Esau's adopted land because he sold his birthright because he lost his blessing to Jacob. So Jacob sends messengers ahead to Esau, and Jacob takes the place of a subordinate. He doesn't say, look out, man, I'm coming through with all my stuff. He says, I've prospered. I, I, uh, I call you, Esau, my Lord, and I seek to find favor in your sight. There's humility. There's caution. There's certainly not pride or bravado here. We read in verse 6, And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. All right, so Jacob sends messengers to Esau who are supposed to deliver this message. We don't know if they ever do. And we don't know if Esau sends back a message. All the messengers come back and tell Jacob is, your brother's coming. 400 men are with him. Now, again, at this point, we have no idea what's on Esau's mind. Is this a war party? Is he out to massacre his brother and all of his family and plunder the goods? Does he know that the way ahead is kind of dangerous, so he's sending a guard to keep Jacob safe? Is he coming for war or coming for peace? We simply don't know. Jacob assumes the worst. Being cautious, he's greatly afraid and distressed, and so his solution, not having an army of his own, is to divide his family into two camps so that if one is attacked... The other can get away while the first is getting, is getting slaughtered by his brother. All right, so once he's divided his, his, his family into two camps, or his people, I should say, into two camps, then we get Jacob's prayer. This is verses 9 through 12, and we read, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. All right, so there's Jacob's prayer, and it follows a nice form of, of, a, of a collect we might use in church. Um, I've, I've said before that, uh, that to quote Luther, to paraphrase Luther, praying is rubbing the promises of God in his ears. Or as I've said, prayer is saying to God, Father, you promised. And, and Jacob's 
Jacob's prayer here is full of reminding God of his promises. So his address to begin this prayer is, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. So the first thing he does is is remind God of the promises he made to his forefathers. God promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation. God promised Isaac that this great nation would come through his line. And so Jacob begins by saying, remember your promises to grandpa and dad that you would make a great nation out of that line that should go through me. So he has his title, and then he reminds God of, uh, that, that he's returning because God told him to. O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. Right? So he's saying, I'm not facing Esau because I want to. I'm facing Esau because you told me to. So I'm trusting that you will take care of this. And then we have this, this confession, this confession of, of, of sin, if you will. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I cross this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. So Jacob acknowledges that he hasn't earned all that he has, But all that he has is a result of God's steadfast love. All that he has is a result of God's faithfulness to him. He had nothing, now he has much, and it's all because of the Lord's faithfulness. Implying with that, as you've been faithful so far, now continue to be faithful. So after his confession, here comes his petition. He says in verse 11, Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. So knowing he cannot save himself from his brother and the 400 men, Jacob prays that God would deliver them. And then he finishes by reminding God specifically of his promise But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So as Jacob prepares to meet Esau, he reminds God of his promises and he doesn't retreat, which means that Jacob is praying in faith, trusting that God will keep his promises. Now, he doesn't know what that will look like. For all Jacob knows, he will survive and and most of his family will not. But God has promised that through Jacob, a mighty nation will be born. All right, so Jacob says his prayer, then he continues preparations. We read in verse 13, so he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. 
he instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you to whom do you belong, where are you going, and whose are these ahead of you, then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. There are presents sent to my lord Esau, and moreover he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, You shall say the same to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. So Jacob is trying to do his best to show um, show his good graces to Esau, to, to implore him for, for peace. And so he sends this massive gift to his brother, 550 animals in all. And you'll note that with many of these animals, the female animals outnumber the, uh, the male animals by about 10 to 1. And that makes the gift all the more precious because, um, say, with the 200 female goats and the 20 male goats, um, a male goat can inseminate many female goats and they can all give, give birth to more goats that you build your herd quickly if he sends... 50 female and 50 male, then you'll, the, the herd won't multiply near as fast. So, so Jacob is clearly doing his best to give a great gift to his brother, along with the message that, that Esau is his master and he is his brother's servant. Again, the message he sends with his servants is one of humility, um, not wanting to provoke his brother. And, and then we have kind of a, a neat play on words that doesn't come through in the English, um, but as a play on the word face in Hebrew. In, in verse 20 in the English, we hear, uh, we hear Jacob's think, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face, perhaps he will accept me. Now in the Hebrew, there's a big emphasis here, on the word face. And in fact, if we, we take the, the word face from Hebrew into the English, Jacob says, perhaps I may appease his face with the present that is walking ahead of my face, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will lift my face. So this whole greeting is, a, is about looking upon someone with favor. So Jacob wants to appease Esau's face. So he doesn't look with fury upon his brother and his family. And so he sends his present walking in front of, of his face before him to his brother. Because afterwards he will see Esau's face, see how Esau is looking at him. And perhaps Esau will lift his face. In other words, Esau will say, you're not my, my prisoner to be slaughtered. You're not my servant to, to be in bondage to me. Rather, I lift your face to mine and say that we are brothers. So this verse may seem a little bit odd to comment on as, as Jacob worries about Esau's face. But we're about to get to the second part of this text where, where, e, where Jacob sees the face of God. All right. So Jacob sends his gift ahead of him. 
And then he himself stays that night in the camp. And then we read in verse 22, the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. So Jacob had been keeping his family near to him, and now he sends them across the, the stream, um, the, 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 the brook Jabbok, um, and now he, is, now he stays alone on the other side. So, so why is he still there? Is, is he intending to be the target that perhaps Esau will kill him and spare everybody else? Does he just want some time on his own to pray and think this through? Is he looking for stragglers in the dark? We don't know why Jacob is alone, but he is until he's not. And so the second half of verse 24 continues by saying, And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So this is, this is kind of this, this, this sudden attack out of nowhere. Jacob is alone, and then there's a man wrestling with him. And it will be revealed in a couple of verses' time that, that this man who wrestles with Jacob is, in fact, God in human flesh. And as he wrestles with Jacob, he does not prevail against him. And that leads some to ask, well, if this is, in fact, God, and not someone pretending to be God, then how come Jacob can hold his own and not defeat him? And the answer is, this is a place where God has taken on the form of a human being, the form of a man. And as he takes on the form of a man, he takes on the limitations of that human form. So, God takes on the form of a man. Is he taller or shorter than Jacob? We don't know, but he is taller or shorter or the same height as Jacob. Does he weigh less or does he weigh more? We don't know that either. Why would he weigh less or weigh more as God? Which would be more godly? We simply cannot say. So in this case, when God takes on human form, he takes on the form of a man, of a human being, who apparently is no stronger than Jacob. They're pretty evenly matched throughout the night so that Jacob holds his own and the man does not prevail against Jacob until the breaking of the day. And then all of a sudden, he touches Jacob's hip socket and throws his hip out of joint. This helps reveal to us that this is God in the form of man. The amount of force needed to knock a hip out of joint is roughly that of a pretty bad automobile collision, a big car crash. And yet here this man just touches Jacob's hip and it's thrown out of joint. The man who has wrestled with God, with Jacob all night reveals himself to be God simply by, by touching his hip and throwing it out of joint. And then he says to Jacob in in verse 26, Let me go, for the day has broken. Why? 
He doesn't say why. Perhaps it's because as the day is breaking, as light is starting to come into the world again, Jacob might see the face of God. And we know from Exodus 33 verse 20 that no one can look upon God's face and live. So in verse 26, then he, the man, God said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, this sounds like an ultimatum, but I really think it's a statement of faith. I know who wrestles with me. I know who just knocked my hip out of joint. And because you've been faithful and blessed me so far, how about another blessing right now? Because that's what you've promised to do. And God obliges him. We read in verse 27, and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So Jacob is renamed Israel, which means one who struggled with God and with men. So Jacob has struggled with his father-in-law Laban. He's prevailed over him. And now he has prevailed over God throughout the night with God in human form because God has allowed it. And so God recognizes this and, uh, and renames him Israel, the one who struggles with God and man. And it is a, uh, it's, it's a bit of a, a foreshadowing that, of course, his descendants will struggle with God and, and, and often grumble against God, and yet God will be faithful to them as well. And then we read in verse 29, Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So remember before, Jacob was so worried about Esau's face, how Esau would look upon him. And now he rejoices that he has been with God face to face. And because God has spared him and because God has blessed him, Jacob has lived. And if Jacob has survived seeing God face to face... Now he can be sure that he will survive seeing Esau face to face. And then we have the short conclusion to this story. In verses 31 and 32, we read, The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. All right, so so Penuel there is is just a uh, is just another spelling of of Peniel. It's a variation. They both mean the same thing, and so this story ends with the sun um, rising. The man has disappeared, and as Jacob walks to rejoin his his family, he's got a limp because of his hip. And then just this kind of little side note. 
that um, his descendants would not eat the sinew of the thigh uh, when they when they consumed meat from animals because uh, because his hip was thrown out of joint. That's that's not Levitical law, but at the time that Genesis was written by Moses, that was simply the practice of the people to honor honor their 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 forefather Jacob, now renamed Israel. So. A couple of points here. One is the faithfulness of God. He keeps his promises. He's faithful to Jacob. And, and if you read into Genesis 33, you see that, that, um, that Esau is, is well favored towards his brother, that there is no hostility there. And then God faithfully delivers um, Jacob as planned. It's not that all of Jacob's prayers were were in vain because Esau was going to be nice anyways, but rather um, God hears Jacob's prayer and 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 creates this fraternity between the brothers, whether that day or or in months and years past. But God is faithful and spares Jacob as He's promised. Another big lesson from this is that God takes on human form with its limitations. He takes on the body of a man who who doesn't easily beat Jacob as a man. Rather, um, Jacob wrestles with him and prevails, or um, at least holds his own throughout the night. Likewise, at the incarnation of our Lord, Jesus takes on human flesh with limitations with weaknesses that are very human, not sinful, just human. So he grows tired and needs to sleep. He grows hungry and needs to eat. But the most obvious limitation or human weakness he has is that he's, he's killable. And so as, he, as, as God does not prevail over Jacob throughout the night, Jesus does not prevail as a man over his enemies at Calvary, but rather he submits in humility to crucifixion so that he might redeem the world, even though he could come down from the cross and save himself and destroy all of us in an instant if he wanted to. Finally, then, this is just one more um, chapter in the history of Old Testament Israel because the great promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is that through them all nations will be blessed by the Savior. And so as we have this story with Jacob's fears and Jacob's faith and his reunion with Esau on the horizon, we see flawed and sinful people going about their lives, fearing the worst, hoping for the best, trusting in the Lord. And we say, God used those people to bring the Savior into the world. And that Savior has now made us his holy and forgiven children. And now uses us flawed as we are and delights in us as his holy people. So rejoice for, for you belong to the Lord. And that concludes our our look at Genesis 32, verses 1 through 32, Jacob wrestling with God. God grants you his blessing as you ponder this text more. Uh, God grants you every good gift if you are teaching this to others. And until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.